Story number 11 of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1896 to 1901. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sally Boyce. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1896 to 1901 by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Miss Callista's Peppermint Bottle. Miss Callista was perplexed. Her nephew, Caleb Cramp, who had been her right-hand man for years and whom she had got well broken into her ways, had gone to the Klondike, leaving her to fill his place with the next best man. But the next best man was slow to appear, and meanwhile Miss Callista was looking about her warily. She could afford to wait a while, for the crop was all in and the fall ploughing done, so that the need of a successor to Caleb was not as pressing as it might otherwise have been. There was no lack of applicants, such as they were. Miss Callista was known to be a kind and generous mistress, although she had her ways, and insisted calmly and immovably upon wholehearted compliance with them. She had a small, well-cultivated farm and a comfortable house and her hired men lived in clover. Caleb Cramp had been perfection after his kind, and Miss Callista did not expect to find his equal. Nevertheless, she set up a certain standard of requirements, and, although three weeks, during which Miss Callista had not been obliged to put up with the immature services of a neighbor's boy, had elapsed since Caleb's departure, no one had as yet stepped into his vacant and coveted shoes. Certainly Miss Callista was somewhat hard to please, but she was not thinking of herself as she sat by her front window in the chilly November twilight. Instead, she was musing on the degeneration of hired men and reflecting that it was high time the wheat was thrashed, the house banked, and sundry other duties attended to. Chess Mabin had been up that afternoon to negotiate for the vacant place, and had offered to give satisfaction for smaller wages than Miss Callista had ever paid. But he had met with a brusque refusal, scarcely as civil as Miss Callista had bestowed on drunken Jake Stinson from the Morrisvale Road. Not that Miss Callista had any particular prejudice against Chess Mabin, or knew anything positively to his discredit. She was simply unconsciously following the example of a world that exerts itself to keep a man down when he is down and prevent all chance of his rising. Nothing succeeds like success, and the converse of this is likewise true, but nothing fails like failure. There was not a person in Cooperstown who would not have heartily endorsed Miss Callista's refusal. Chess Mabin was only eighteen, although he looked several years older and although no flagrant misdoing had ever been proved against him, suspicion of such was not wanting. He came of a bad stock, people said sagely, adding that what was bred in the bone was bound to come out in the flesh. His father, old Sam Mabin, had been a shiftless and tricky rascal, as everybody knew, and had ended up his days in the poorhouse. Chess's mother had died when he was a baby, and he had come up somehow in a hand-to-mouth fashion, with all the cloud of heredity hanging over him. He was always looked at askance, and when any mischief came to light in the village, 
It was generally fastened on him as a convenient and handy scapegoat. He was considered sulky and lazy, and the local prophets united in predicting a bad end for him sooner or later, and, moreover, diligently endeavored by their general treatment of him to put him in a fair way to fulfill their predictions. Miss Callista, when she had shut Chester Mabin out into the chill gloom of the November dusk, dismissed him from her thoughts. There were other things of more moment to her just then than old Sam Mabin's hopeful son. There was nobody in the house but herself, and all this was neither alarming nor unusual. It was unusual, and Miss Callista considered it alarming, that the sum of five hundred dollars should at that very moment be in the upper right-hand drawer of the sideboard, which some had been up to the previous day safe in the coffers of the Milledgeville Bank. But certain unfavorable rumors were in course of circulation about that same institution, and Miss Callista, who was nothing if not prudent, had gone to the bank that very morning and withdrawn her deposit. She intended to go over to Carytown the very next day and deposit it in the savings bank there. Not another day would she keep it in the house, and, indeed, it worried her to think she must keep it even for the night, as she had told Mrs. Galloway that afternoon during a neighborly backyard chat. "'Not but it, what it's safe enough,' she said, "'for not a soul but you knows I've got it. "'But I'm not used to have so much by me, "'and there are always tramps going round. "'It worries me somehow. "'I wouldn't give it a thought if Caleb was here. "'I suppose being all alone makes me nervous.' "'Miss Callista was still rather nervous "'when she went to bed that night, "'but she was a woman of sound sense "'and was determined not to give way to foolish fears.' She locked the doors and windows carefully, as was her habit, and saw that the fastenings were good and secure. The one in the dining-room window, looking out on the backyard, wasn't. In fact, it was broken altogether, but, as Miss Callista told herself, it had been broken just so for the last six years, and nobody had ever tried to get in at it yet, and it wasn't likely anyone would begin tonight. Miss Callista went to bed and, despite her worry, slept soon and soundly. It was well on past midnight when she suddenly wakened and sat bolt upright in bed. She was not accustomed to waken in the night, and she had the impression of having been awakened by some noise. She listened breathlessly. Her room was directly over the dining room, and an empty stovepipe hole opened up through the ceiling of the ladder at the head of her bed. There was no mistake about it. Something or someone was moving about stealthily in the room below. It wasn't the cat. Miss Callista had shut him in the woodshed before she went to bed, and he couldn't possibly get out. It must certainly be a beggar or tramp of some description. Miss Callista might be given over to nervousness in regard to imaginary thieves, but in the presence of real danger, she was cool and self-reliant. As noiselessly and swiftly as any burglar himself, Miss Callista slipped out of bed and into her clothes. Then she tiptoed out into the hall. The late moonlight, streaming in through the hall windows, was quite enough illumination for her purpose, and she got downstairs and was fairly in the open doorway of the dining room before a sound betrayed her presence. Standing at the sideboard, hastily ransacking the neat contents of an open drawer, stood a man's figure, dimly visible in the moonlight gloom. As Miss Callista's grim form appeared in the doorway, the midnight marauder turned with a start and then, when, with an inarticulate cry, sprang, 
not at the courageous lady, but at the open window behind him. Miss Callista, realizing with a flash of comprehension that he was escaping her, had a woman-like impulse to get a blow in anyhow. She grasped and hurled at her unceremonious collar the first thing that came to hand, a bottle of peppermint essence that was standing on the sideboard. The missile hit the escaping thief squarely on the shoulder as he sprang out of the window, and the fragments of glass came clattering down on the sill. The next moment Miss Callista found herself alone, standing by the sideboard in a half-dazed fashion, for the whole thing had passed with such lightning-like rapidity that it almost seemed as if it were the dissolving end of a bad dream. But the open drawer and the window, where the bits of glass were glistening in the moonlight, were no dream. Miss Callista recovered herself speedily, closed the window, lit the lamp, gathered up the broken glass, and set up the chairs which the would-be thief had upset in his exit. An examination of the sideboard showed the precious five hundred safe and sound in an undisturbed drawer. Miss Callista kept grim watch and ward there until morning, and thought the matter over exhaustively. In the end, she resolved to keep her own counsel. She had no clue whatever to the thief's whereabouts or identity, and no good would come of making a fuss, which might only end in throwing suspicion on someone who might be quite innocent. When the morning came, Miss Callista lost no time in setting out for Carytown, where the money was soon safely deposited in the bank. She heaved a sigh of relief when she left the building. "'I feel as if I could enjoy life once more,' she said to herself. "'Goodness me! If I'd had to keep that money by me for a week itself, I'd have been a raving lunatic by the end of it!' Miss Callista had shopping to do and friends to visit in town, so that the dull autumn day was well-nigh spent when she finally got back to Cooperstown and paused at the corner store to get a bundle of matches. The store was full of men, smoking and chatting round the fire, and Miss Callista, whose pet abomination was tobacco smoke, was not at all minded to wait any longer than she could help. But a, B a Byram Fell was attending to a previous customer, and Miss Callista sat grimly down by the counter to wait her turn. The door opened, letting in a swirl of raw November evening wind, and Chess Mabin. He nodded sullenly to Mr. Fell and passed down the store to mutter a message to a man in the farther end. Miss Callista lifted her head as he passed and sniffed the air as a charger who scents battle. The smell of tobacco was strong, and so was that of the open boxes of dried herring on the counter, but plainly, above all the commingled odors of a country grocery, Miss Callista caught a whiff of peppermint, so strong as to leave no doubt of its origin. There had been no hint of it before Chess Mabin's entrance. The latter did not wait long. He was out and striding along the shadowy road when Miss Callista left the store and drove smartly after him. It never took Miss Callista long to make up her mind about anything, and she had weighed and passed judgment on Chess Mabin's case while Mr. Fell was doing up her matches. The lad glanced up furtively as she checked her fat gray pony beside him. "'Good evening, Chester!' she said with brisk kindness. "'I can give you a lift if you are going my way. Jump in, quick! Dapple is a little restless.' A wave of crimson, duskily perceptible under his sunburned skin, surged over Chess Mabin's face. It almost seems as if he were going to blurt out a blunt refusal. But Miss Callista's face was so guileless and her tone so friendly that he thought better of it and sprang in beside her. 
and Dapple broke into an impatient trot down the long hill lined with its bare, wind-writhen maples. After a few minutes' silence, Miss Callista turned to her moody companion. Chester, she said, as tranquilly as if about to ask him the most ordinary question in the world, why did you climb into my house last night and try to steal my money? Chess Mabin started convulsively, as if he meant to spring from the buggy at once, but Miss Callista's hand was on his arm in a grasp none the less firm because of its gentleness, and there was a warning gleam in her grey eyes. It won't mend matters trying to get clear of me, Chester. I know it was you, and I want to—I want an answer, a truthful one, mind you, to my question. I am your friend, and I am not going to harm you if you tell me the truth. Her clear and incisive gaze met and held irresistibly the boy's wavering one. The sullen obstinacy of his face relaxed. Well, he muttered finally, I was just desperate, that's why. I've never done anything real bad in my life before, but people have always been down on me. I'm blamed for everything, and nobody wants anything to do with me. I'm willing to work, but I can't get a thing to do. I'm in rags, and I haven't a cent, and winter's coming on. I heard you telling Mrs. Galloway yesterday about the money. I was behind the fur hedge, and you didn't see me. I went away and planned it all out. I'd get in some way, and I meant to use the money to get away out west, far as here as I could, and begin life there, where nobody knew me, and where I'd have some sort of a chance. I've never had any here. You can put me in jail now, if you like. They'll feed and clothe me there anyhow, and I'll be on a level with the rest. The boy had blurted it all out sullenly and half-chokingly. A world of rebellion and protest against the fate that had always dragged him down was couched in his voice. Miss Callista drew Dapple to a standstill before her gate. I'm not going to send you to jail, Chester. I believe you've told me the truth. Yesterday you wanted me to give you Caleb's place, and I refused. Well, I offer it to you now. If you'll come, I'll hire you, and give you as good wages as I gave him. Chess Mabin looked incredulous. Miss Callista, you can't mean it. I do mean it, every word. You say you never have had a chance. Well, I'm going to give you one. A chance to get on the right road and make a man of yourself. Nobody shall ever know about last night's doings from me, and I'll make it my business to forget them if you deserve it. What do you say? Chess lifted his head and looked at her squarely in the face. I'll come, he said huskily. It ain't no use to try and thank you, Miss Callista, but I'll live my thanks. And he did. The good people of Cooperstown held up their hands in horror when they heard that Miss Callista had hired Chess Mabin, and prophesied that the deluded woman would live to repent her rash step. But not all prophecies come true. Miss Callista smiled serenely and kept on her own misguided way, and Chess Mabin proved so efficient and steady that the arrangement was continued, and in due time people outlived their old suspicions and came to regard him as a thoroughly smart and trustworthy young man. "'Miss Callista has made a man of Chess Mabin,' said the oracles. "'He ought to be very grateful to her.' And he was. But only he and Miss Callista and the peppermint bottle ever knew the precise extent of his gratitude, and they never told." End of Miss Callista's Peppermint Bottle Recording by Sally Boyce, Nashville, Tennessee